Good afternoon, folks, Every, at least afternoon for folks on the East Coast and morning everywhere else. Uh, Brandon Garrett here with the National Minority Quality, Quality Forum, just giving you your sort of weekly dose of healthcare information. Um, this, this is the last Friday of the month, so that of course means that we're fe featuring our very own Kristen Hobbs, a director at NMQFSHC, and she's going to lead today's webinar talk excuse me, webinar topic on healthy aging and vaccinations. So without uh, further ado, I will turn it over to Kristen. Ms. Hobbs. Thank you so much, Brandon. And thank you everyone for joining us today. As Brandon said, we will be discussing healthy aging and vaccines as a part of our Champions for Total Health webinar series. So just as a reminder for those of you who have been with us, before and for those of you who are newly joining us, our Champions for Total Health webinars and microsite and flyer and infographic development series really tries to focus on making sure that we expand our conversations for historically excluded communities to include all of the health topics that are concerning to the communities that we serve at the intersection of vaccinations. Um, as Brandon said, I am the Director of Quality Improvement and Equity at NMQF SHC, and I will be moderating today's discussion. So a few notes before we get started. We are in a webinar, so your audio and video functions are turned off. However, your chat is available, and we do expect you to engage in respectful conversation within the chat box. We encourage you to network, tell us where you're from, and give us feedback because this webinar will be interactive. We will get to, in, to the interactive portion after we speak with our panelists on healthy aging and vaccinations. So really quickly, I will give you some background on NMQF and SHC. Then we will dive right into um, our content, and we'll go into the microsite feedback and Q&A portion. Um, so NMQF was started in 1998 by Dr. Gary Puckran, really to advance health equity by reducing patient risk using evidence-based interventions and implementation tactics. So at the Center for Sustainable Healthcare Quality and Equity, SHC, which is a part of NMQF, we work to advance health equity using quality improvement and public health interventions. Um, so our president is Dr. Laura Lee Hall. You already know me. Our project manager is Chenny Ukachaku. We also have a project assistant for quality improvement and equity, Leslie Zuniga. And our newest member who is not featured here, will, will definitely be featured in future webinars, is um, Michael uh, DeSalvo-Solarte. He is also a project manager for our team. And without further ado, I would like to introduce Michelle Kisu-Hunt. She's a physician assistant nutritional fellow um, for the PA Foundation. And she will be speaking with us today um, about healthy aging. So let me share my screen. And please, let me go back, sorry about that. Uh, I'll turn it over to you, Michelle. Well, 
<clears throat> Excuse me for my voice. Um, <clears throat> thank you very much, Kristen, for inviting me and for all of you for joining me today for this presentation. I lost my voice, uh, but I will do my best to speak to you on this, <clears throat> on this extremely important topic, nutrition, health, and wellness. <clears throat> so when we're talking about healthy aging throughout the lifespan, next slide. We're not talking about a specific age, but we're talking about um, adult li uh, life aging through lifespan. So young adulthood is considered ages 18 through 35. Uh, that's usually our peak physical health. We usually focus on solidifying healthy lifestyle habits. We wanna focus on healthy diet, minimizing alcohol, exercising, and disease prevention, primary prevention of chronic diseases. Once we get into middle adulthood, that's considered ages 35 to 64. Uh, that's when we start developing chronic diseases if we're not watching or we're not doing um, the right things. That's when we have to watch out again for primary prevention and we wanna minimize progression and prevent any complications from any chronic diseases that may have developed. We again have to focus on healthy diet as well as exercise patterns. Older adulthood is considered ages 65 and up. That's when we wanna promote maximal functioning, making sure that we're getting out, that we're going out and about, still working on healthy dietary um, habits as well as exercise all throughout our lifestyle. So that is something that we keep, um, keep going throughout our life to stay healthy. Next slide. So what can happen if you have poor nutrition? So in young to middle adulthood, we develop chronic um, disease, change, we get change in physical capacity. As we get into older adulthood, we start having reduced physical capacity, mobility, and our cognitive functions actually start to decline if we're not um, keeping a really good nutritional diet. Malnutrition can set in as well. Some of the contributing factors to keeping a poor, uh, poor nutrition and not keeping a good diet could be due to limited budget socioeconomic uh, problems. Social isolation, lack of social support, family support, comorbidities, access to food, just not being able to have that access. Can the person get actually physically get to the grocery store to purchase the food? Can they prepare their own food? Are they healthy enough to stand up in the kitchen and actually make the food? Do they have access to that? Next slide. So aging in the US, 56.1 million people in the US were 65 years and older in 2020. And that number is estimated to increase dramatically to 80.8 million um, by 2040. And we know that as people age, there are really um, conditions that go along with older age, such as hypertension, which is 71% of the population can experience that, followed by arthritis, heart disease, cancer, and diabetes. We can manage some of these things like hypertension, heart disease, diabetes, some of these things we can control with diet and with exercise. 
if we're doing the right thing while as we're aging. Next slide. So the World Health Organization defines healthy aging as the process of developing, maintaining the functional ability that enables well-being in older age. So what is well-being? Well-being can mean something different to different people. For someone, it can mean uh, being able to run every day. For someone else, it can mean being able to hike. And another person means just being able to play with their grandchildren or being able to go to the store and shop on their own or drive themselves without needing to be driven around. So it's really different for every person. Next slide. And unhealthy aging, uh, on the contrary, is when patients start becoming demented, impaired mobility, they start developing chronic diseases, they're disconnected from society, they're keeping to themselves, they start uh, becoming depressed, they're anxious, maybe mal uh, malnourished, they're having difficulty performing everyday activities, things that used to be very easy for them are no longer easy. Next slide. As we age, aging can affect different organ systems in our bodies. So cardiovascular system, we know that patients can develop arthrosclerosis. It can affect the cardiopulmonary system. Some patients may have problems with dentures, um, maybe whether they have problems with their gums or false teeth, slowed gastric motility. Some patients may be constipated or have some decreased absorption of some nutrients. Maybe their thyroid is not functioning the way it did, or they're not absorbing insulin. Their insulin production is not the same. Their skin, their vitamin D um, synthesis is not the same. Their um, nervous system is not the same. Vision, smell, thirst, appetite, not the same. So they may not be smelling food. They may not have as much of an appetite. They may not be as thirsty. So some patients end up being dehydrated or not drinking enough and becoming constipated as a result. Their cognitive functions may decline and musculoskeletal system, you can lose muscle loss uh, three to 5% every decade over the age of 30 if we're not moving around. Next slide. So what is the role of nutrition? Nutrition is extremely important throughout the lifespan. That's from birth all the way to death. It provides life-sustaining nutrients. It prevents and treats chronic disease. It improves quality of life and enjoyment. And it maintains functional status. Next slide. <clears throat> so the general nutrition recommendation, what we need more of are whole grains, monosaturated fats, um, lean proteins like chicken, fish, turkey, fiber. We need fiber in our diet, fruits vegetables, things that are in nature, that we grow out in nature. Next slide. And what we want less of is processed food, things that are coming in a box. Anything that is processed is usually in a box. Um, added sugars we want to cut back on. We want to cut back on white bread and grains, sodium, anything that's high in sodium. So you want to read the content of sodium on in anything that comes in a box or canned foods usually have a lot of sodium. Or if we're going out, um, out to eat, usually a lot of the meals will have high sodium. 
alcohol we want to cut down on saturated fat as well as trans fatty acids next slide so adding exercise is extremely important and should be done at any age it's never too late it increases lean body mass increases bone density it improves glucose tolerance regulates bowel movements improves mobility it improves our cognitive function and it helps with better sense of well-being and mood. This is Ernestine Shepard. She's the world's oldest competitive female bodybuilder, and she started training at her 50s. She's a grandmother, and look at her. She looks beautiful, and it's really never too late. And you feel better when you're exercising. Next slide. So the World Health Organization, as well as the CDC recommendation for physical activity in adults are the same for all ages. For aerobic exercise, 150 minutes a week of moderate intensity or 75 minutes of vigorous intensity or a combination. If you double that time, it yields additional benefits. And aerobic activity, you could break it down into just 10 minute intervals. You don't have to do it all at once. So you could do 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes in the evening, and slowly build it up over time. Of course, you always need to get um, uh, permission from your provider, make sure that everything is okay before you start any kind of exercise regimen. Even walking your dog, getting groceries, walking with a friend, that's 10 minutes right there, and that adds up. Next slide. Strength training is also extremely important at least two days per week. And older adults should also include balance training. And if they're unable to do the above, they just can do, because of their conditions, they just do as much as their condition allows them. Next slide. So use these six tips to remain active and independent as long as possible. So number one, eat and drink healthy. Healthy choices such as fruit, vegetables, whole grains, lean meat, low fat, dairy products, and water, extremely important. Some people think that if they're drinking like tea, they're hydrating themselves. That's actually um, a diuretic. You want to hydrate with water. Move uh, more, sit less throughout the day. Can help delay chronic uh, diseases and improve your balance and stamina reduced risk of faults and improves brain health. Try to not use tobacco. And if you want help quitting, you can call 800-QUIT-NOW for help. And that's free. This help is free. Next slide. Number four, get regular checkups. See your provider for prevention services, not just when you're sick. You want to prevent diseases, find them early, not just when you're not feeling well. Make sure that you know your family history. It's extremely important to share your family health history with your provider in order to help prevent chronic diseases or diagnose them early enough so that we can intervene. Be aware that changes um, in brain health, um, because everyone's brain changes as they age, but dementia is not a normal part of aging. And if you have questions about memory or brain health, you really want to see your provider. And if you want to read a little more about this, you can go to this website on the CDC. They have really wonderful information. Next slide. So I'd like to 
uh, take a quick pivot and just talk a little bit about COVID-19 recommendations for older adults. Older adults uh, between 50s and 80s are more likely to get very sick from COVID-19, especially after 85 years of age. Comorbidities increase at risk um, further. Getting vaccinated definitely prevents severe illness, hospitalization, and deaths. Adults that are 65 years and older who were fully vaccinated with COVID-19 vaccine, and that could be the Pfizer uh, or Moderna, they had a 94% reduction risk of COVID-19 hospitalization, which is huge. And vaccination of 60, they had an effectiveness of 64% if they were only partially vaccinated. So it's really good to get um, to be fully vaccinated. Now, older unvaccinated adults are more likely to be hospitalized or die. Next slide. <clears throat> older adults and those who live with, visit, or provide care for them need to take preventative measures to protect themselves from getting COVID-19. And preventative measures include, of course, getting vaccinated, but also wearing a mask, practicing physical distancing, and washing our hands. Next slide. And just one other topic that is extremely important is healthy aging and health disparities. Um, it does exist, health disparities exist in all age groups, including older adults. And the Center for Disease Control and Prevention is aware that even though life expectancy um, and overall health have improved in recent years for most Americans, not all older adults are benefiting equally because of factors such as economic, status, race, and gender. The CDC acknowledges that this is a growing problem and they are incorporating these issues into their work. Next slide. The CDC's Healthy Aging Program is conducting research on minority population to identify and address health disparities. They're examining the health characteristics of American Indian and Alaska Native caregivers and the CDC is also assessing <clears throat> how diverse groups of older adults like African-Americans, Hispanics, and Chinese-Americans think about cognitive health and its association with lifestyle factors. Thank you very much for your attention. And I'll turn it over to Krista. Thank you so much, Michelle. I truly appreciate your insights and all of the information that you can give us about healthy aging. I was definitely appreciated that you included Ernestine in this particular presentation. She's my motivation to work out every single day because if she could do it, then I can do it. Um, and so now I would love to turn the floor over to Pat Varanasich. She is a vaccine expert and nurse consultant on immunizations. Welcome, Pat. I will turn over slide control to you so that you can advance your slide. So please, please give us the lowdown on vaccinations for um, older adults. I will, and thank you. And I'm so happy to be with the audience today to talk about this important um, message about vaccines, especially vaccines for older adults. I think Michelle set the tone because she talked about preventive services and getting vaccines as part of our preventive services. 
So we thought we'd put this presentation together by focusing a little bit of information about some of the diseases that older adults face and some other um, age groups, and then also to talk about the vaccines that are recommended to help prevent those diseases, and then end with learning about some disparities on vaccines, which we know there are many of also. So let's start off with flu, flu disease in older adults. We know, and we have a lot of data that tells us that people 65 and older are at really higher risk for developing serious flu complications. So it's just not the flu. A lot of times that flu virus results in serious complications compared with young, healthy adults. This increased risk and why we're more at risk is partly in changes to our immune system. Our immune defenses slow down with increasing age. We get a lot more inflammation going on and a lot less response to our immune, immune system moving and becoming more active when it faces a virus. Well, flu vaccines, I mean, certainly we know, all of us who've lived many years like me, know that flu vaccines, uh, flu seasons rather, vary in severity. Sometimes we have a mild flu season. We, we recognize that wearing masks in the beginning of COVID resulted in a lot less flu disease. But even with relatively mild flu seasons, people 65 and older bear the greatest burden of severe flu disease. In recent years, it's estimated that 70 to 85% of all the seasonal flu-related deaths occurred in those who were 65 and older, and 50 to 70% of all the people who ended up in a hospital because of flu or flu's complications were among people in this age group. Now we'll talk about pneumococcal disease in adults. Pneumococcal disease is called by strep pneumoniae bacteria. It's a bacteria. Flu is a virus, this is a bacteria. The major clinical sy sy um, syndromes of pneumococcal disease are pneumonia. You might've heard of that. It sounds like pneumococcus. I was, as a young nurse, always thinking that was all it was about, but it actually results, pneumococcal disease results in bacteremia, infections in the bloodstream, and sometimes infections in the brain, meningitis. Pneumococcal pneumonia presents with um, pretty serious disease, fever, chills, chest pain, uh, difficulty breathing, fast breathing, low blood oxygen, a fast heart rate. So serious disease in adults. The pneumococcal bacteremia, when it gets into your bloodstream, it can circulate and it can lead to arthritis, meningitis, and inflammation around your heart or endocarditis. Pneumococcal meningitis, and I did work at an emergency department and saw some of this disease, um, people presenting with terrible headaches, lethargy, vomiting, fear, uh, fever. Um, people talk about the stiff neck that you get from meningitis, along with seizures and sometimes coma. So a pretty serious disease. Um, the impact of pneumococcal disease in other age groups of adults, we talked about 65 and older being at increased risk, but we also know that adults of other ages, the, those ages of like 19 to 64, uh, we're also incur, um, very concerned about increased risk of disease in people who, have, who are alcoholics, who have chronic heart, lung, kidney, or liver disease, people who have a cochlear implant are very likely to end up with um, pneumococcal disease if they're not vaccinated. Uh, uh, cerebral spinal fluid leaks, people with diabetes. Michelle talked about the percentage of people 
in our country with diabetes, they're very vulnerable to pneumococcal disease. HIV infection, cancer, solid organ transplant, or any other condition that might weaken the immune system. Um, nephrotic syndrome, we know that sickle cell disease or damaged spleen or no spleen, those people who have those conditions result in serious disease when they run into strep pneumonia. Um, we actually looked at, when I worked at the Michigan Health Department, we looked at our children with sickle cell disease and how many of them were up to date on their pneumococcal vaccine because we were so concerned about what that bacteria can do with kids with sickle cell anemia. Adults who smoke cigarettes are also at increased risk for pneumococcal disease. And also chronic lung diseases that maybe people don't think about like COPD or emphysema and asthma. They're also very much at risk of pneumococcus disease. Shingles disease is another disease that older people run into and ARCs get. get. Um, it's caused by varicella zoster virus. We call that VZV. It's also the same virus that causes chickenpox. After a person gets better from chickenpox, that virus gets dormant. It lays inactive somewhere in the body. We have an idea sometimes where. It can though wake up and reactivate and result in shingles later. So it's that same herpes zoster virus that causes this disease. About one out of every three people in the United States develop shingles also known as herpes zoster in some time in their lifetime. And um, we know that even if you've never had chickenpox, you can still get shingles because perhaps you had more of an asymptomatic case or it wasn't diagnosed, but somehow you ran into that virus. So you can still go on and get shingles. Even children today can get shingles. Your risk of shingles, however, increases every year that you age and get older. So if you've heard of people's stories about shingles, shingles can get into your eye, it can cause a lot of pain, it causes sometimes your legs to have neuropathy and not to be able to walk properly. It's a pretty devastating disease. So what, what do we have in our vaccine toolkit that can address these terrible diseases? Well, we have pneumococcal vaccines and they are recommended for all adults at 65 years and older, all adults, um, there's, there's a couple of different types of pneumococcal vaccines that are needed. You talk to your doctor to find out which ones, because now we have a PCV15, a PCV20, and we have polysaccharide 23 or Pneumovax. And you talk to your doctor to find out what did I have and what do I need? Um, CDC recommends pneumococcal vaccination also for adults 19, to 30, um, 19 through 64, and we talked about all those chronic medical conditions or risk factors. So it really is some of those people that are 19 through 64 have to get their two doses closer together. Those of us who are 65 and older can have our two types of pneumococcal vaccines spaced out, or today you can actually get a PCV20 and that will meet your needs for pneumococcal protection. CDC recommends two doses of recombinant zoster vaccine or Shingrix. We're lucky to have the Shingrix vaccine. This Shingrix vaccine is so much more effective than the older shingles vaccine that came out years ago. I think that was like Zostavax that came out years ago. This one is recommended too for adults 50 years and older. 
Why? We want to get in front of that time when people get shingles disease. So we recommend that everybody get it at 50 years of age and older. And it's recommended also, though, for 19 years and older who have a weakened immune system. Um, that's a system where maybe they're more vulnerable to getting shingles because they're on chemotherapy or some immune system therapy that results in having a lower resistance to getting shingles. They would be indicated to get the Shingrix vaccine. Another vaccine that's so important is Tdap vaccine. The Tdap vaccine is for those letters stand for tetanus, diphtheria, and whooping cough vaccine. And then we get this throughout our lifetime. This is really not a, a, a one and done shot. We get this one every 10 years. Um, we can get today, we can either get our Tdap followed by a tetanus diphtheria or a lot of providers are just stocking Tdap vaccine and giving a Tdap booster shot every 10 years. It's okay to get a Tdap booster every 10 years. Um, and we know that seniors are more vulnerable to getting tetanus because they're, the waning from this shot happens. Years after you've gotten your tetanus, there's significant waning. We also know that many of us as grandparents need to have Tdap to protect our new babies from whooping cough and pertussis. So and it's another reason to make sure your Tdap is up to date. The other vaccine is hepatitis B vaccine. This is a pretty new recommendation. So some of you might not have heard about that. This is for all adults ages 19 through 59 years. Um, it's a routine age indication vaccine. We found out that not enough adults were getting hepatitis B vaccine. And we can really work on reducing this disease if we all get vaccinated. Adults who are 60 and older who have certain risk factors for hepatitis B, perhaps like diabetes or people, other people um, who are working with um, other adults, they might need hepatitis B infection or vaccine because we know healthcare workers, nursing home workers, we want to make sure that they're protected. So even if they're 60 and older, and we do have a lot of an aging workforce out there, they should consider getting hepatitis B vaccine because they miss the opportunity in their youth to get the vaccine. So um, make sure that if you need hepatitis B vaccine, you start your series. There's several different hepatitis B vaccines that can be used for adults. This is what the adult vaccine schedule looks like. CDC every year does a review. A lot of scientists, infectious disease experts, family practice, or not pediatricians for the adult schedule, but they all internal medicine they all look at this vaccine schedule and have a committee that works on putting this together. One of the things they've worked at is to try and make it simpler so that all of us can refer to it and know which vaccines we need when. Um, so many people have focused on child and adolescent vaccine. We need a lot more help in focusing in on adult vaccines to make the public more aware of it. This chart was designed so that you could look at Vaccines that are recommended for all, such as the yellow bar, that's recommended vaccines based on age or a past infection or whether or not you've had that. And then you also have to look at the purple bars. Those are indicated for certain adults that have a risk factor or maybe have a job that requires them to have it. Then the blue bar is something that we call, you should have a discussion with your doctor. 
So we don't know for sure all the time what what um, things are going on as far as lifestyle factors, different medical conditions, who's traveling a lot. So those are all things that need to be discussed with your doctor because adults have complicated lives and maybe need additional vaccines based on whether they're going to be traveling or working in a certain environment and those kinds of things. So those are all discussion items with your doctor. Another thing we wanted to point out today is that um, there are updated ACIP, we call that the Advisory Committee on In Immunization Practices. They make recommendations every year for flu vaccine. One of the things they did this year is they recommended that all adults 65 and over, of course, receive the flu vaccine, but they put a, rec a preferential, they would prefer that we consider high dose flu vaccine, that we consider the quadrivalent recombinant flu vaccine, and that we also consider the adjuvanted inactivated flu vaccine. Um, these vaccines were actually found in many of the studies to really work better and are potentially more effective. But if none of these vaccines are available, don't walk out the door without it. You need an, an age-appropriate influenza vaccine. So we have a preferential recommendation. It sure would be better if 65 and older receive either high-dose flu zone or um, recombinant flu vaccine, which is like a flu block or fluad, an adjuvanted flu vaccine, because it's been found that this would work better. Remember, older adults have that sluggish immune system. Um, I know that I just received my high-dose influenza vaccine just two days ago. So we're all recommending that for people who are 65 and over. But please get a flu vaccine if you can't find those vaccines in your community. Now, this, this information is about disparities. The CDC and many other academic groups have been concerned about this actually even before COVID and before we recognize some of the disparities that were going on with COVID vaccine. We were doing these studies on pneumococcal vaccine. We know that people who are at increased risk of pneumococcal disease, remember that long list we talked about a few slides ago, we're only at about 23.9% in 2020. And it's not going up very fast. I think part of the reason is people aren't aware that their medical condition is an indication for getting the pneumococcal vaccine. Coverage was higher among white adults age 19 to 64 compared with the Hispanic um, and black adults. Uh, coverage among adults over 65 for pneumococcal vaccine, that's, probably, that's a little better um, than other young adults. Uh, frequently you'll hear, and I know I worked in a flu clinic, is that um, adults when they're over 65 will get prompted to get a pneumococcal vaccine when they show up for their flu vaccine. But it's certainly the coverage among white adults was higher than black adults. That was 50.8%. Hispanic was 48.1%. And Asian Americans was 54.9%. So we have a lot of work to do in getting people higher coverage levels for pneumococcal vaccines. Just think of all the diseases we could prevent. Shingles vaccine, this was a snapshot done by the National Adult and Influenza Immunization Summit that's been working on 
trying to get adults better vaccinated, we found that the disparities were there for shingles vaccine. Um, the white, white coverage was much higher than black patients or Hispanic patients. So we have work to do in getting the word out there about getting that shingles vaccine at the age of 50. Um, we had some hiccups when they rolled out Shingrix and being able to find it and get coverage for it. But many of the states have worked hard to start to reduce those issues. So make sure that um, you find out if you can get a shingles vaccine, where you can get a shingles vaccine, because it's certainly indicated for everybody 50 and over. Vaccine disparities exist with flu vaccine. Similar to the 2019-2020 flu season, there were differences in flu vaccination coverage observed between racial and ethnic groups. This slide is kind of busy, but what you can pull out of there is that white folks had higher coverage than black, Hispanic, and adults of other racial and ethnic groups. Additionally, Hispanic and black adults have traditionally had lower flu vaccination coverage than adults of other racial and ethnic groups. We've known that from many studies in individual states and in our country, that for some reason, Hispanic and black adults have had this lower flu vaccination coverage through the seasons. This chart shows you the tracking since 2010 to 2011 to 2020 to 2021. So we're just making maybe small steps of increases in coverage. A lot of work to do. We think sometimes with flu and flu vaccine, we know that we have heard many of us who have worked in flu clinics or have talked to people about getting the flu vaccine. Um, we've heard a lot of the myths and misconceptions that are out there. You know, for example, I'm a grandmother and I've encouraged both my young adult children and my grandchildren to get the flu shot because I know that flu shots aren't just for old people. They're for everybody in our country over six months of age. And we all need to get protected to protect each other, our families and our communities. And we know that that's sometimes people just aren't in tune to that. Um, we know that you can catch the flu from a virus, not from going out in the cold weather or being having the shivers and chills. You catch the flu from a virus that we catch from breathing and sometimes even from touching some surfaces, you can get the flu. If you're soon enough catching that bathroom door handle, you can pick up the flu. Flu vaccine is dangerous to pregnant people. No, flu is really, flu disease is dangerous to pregnant people. Pregnant women can get very sick if they're exposed to COVID or flu vaccine or flu disease during pregnancy. What we've been seeing is great results in pregnant women who've gotten the flu vaccine during their pregnancy. Remember, they need flu vaccine, Tdap vaccine, and COVID vaccine. And what happens is the babies are also protected. The pregnant woman gets some protection, and also the babies are protected at birth when they're born at a time that they can't receive vaccines. We know that some people will think, well, look, a lot of people got flu vaccine, still got sick. Well, we know too that flu vaccine sometimes doesn't protect you from all types of illness but it will many times protect you from ending up in the hospital. So you may get the sniffles, but you might not end up in the hospital and the studies and our science tells us that. So what about getting flu with other vaccines? Well, all of us nurses who've worked in immunization clinics know that's a great idea. 
get them the same day. My uh, actually two young adult children just got flu shot and COVID shot. And they decided to get it in their same arm because they only wanted one sore arm. So they got it on the same day. Perfectly will work fine. There are different types of responses that will go on in the, and if we get it on the same day, it works fine. There's studies that have supported that. Some people will say they um, don't spread the flu. They're, they're never sick. They don't spread the flu. Well, we know the flu in particular can be spread even if you're not showing physical signs of flu you have asymptomatic flu spread. So don't count on it. Many times you could have the flu and give it to somebody who's very vulnerable. So get the flu shot to protect your community if you don't think you ever get sick. So I think that's the end of our slides, Kristen. Um, we do need a flu shot every year. And we think that this year could be particularly tricky. We know that our neighbors in New Zealand and Australia have faced a difficult flu season. So we're encouraging everybody to get out there and get their flu vaccine in October. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you, Pat. Um, and just to reiterate a couple of the points that Pat made. So when we see the Southern Hemisphere and flu just wreaking havoc, we know that we will probably have a very difficult flu season as well. So please remember that you can get your COVID-19 bivalent booster and your flu shot co-administered. I'm gonna do that this weekend. I might be knocked out for a day, but that's okay because I'm gonna be protected. Um, and I really, really Pat, want to thank you for expanding your conversation of vaccinations to talk about pneumococcal disease and shingles and the other things, Tdap that, um, and Hep B, that are specific to healthy aging and, and older adults. What we like to do in these Champions for Total Health webinars is to make sure that they are culturally appropriate and relevant. And having that expansion really helps us, um, that expansion in, in information helps us to understand what is actually important um, for older adults to pay attention to. So we have come into our interactive portion of the webinar. So here's how it's gonna go. Um, I am going to show you guys um, a, our microsite. Let me pull that up. And you are going to answer a couple of questions. My colleague, Chenny, who you saw on our, our team slide before, she will be helping to take notes in our, um, excuse me, in our Jamboard. Um, so that, that will be available to us as we continue to update um, the microsite. So this microsite is basically an expansion and detailed information and education of what we just learned from Michelle and Pat. So we have aging defined as defined by the WHO and many other uh, reputable organizations. We have health inequities in aging populations, flu and uh, COVID-19 in older adults, vaccinations, older adults, and more additional resources. The um, sources are also mentioned at the bottom. So if you want to explore more information, you can do that. Um, we will also be pinning the webinar recording to this microsite. So of course, I won't go into extreme detail into all of the verbiage that's listed here, but that's the long and short of what you can find on this microsite. And it will be shared via our Health Champions uh, channels and our newsletters. So please keep an eye out for that. 
So I'm going to go to our Jamboard and I'm going to ask Chinny to help me take notes here. I'm going to increase that really quickly. So the first poll, you should already see it pop up. Um, this should say healthy aging. I'm sorry, I'm not sure why it says hypertension, but it should say healthy aging. So who would you share a microsite on healthy aging and vaccines with? Would it be your colleagues, your family and friends, your patients, if you are a clinician or some sort of provider um, or your social media audience? So for social media, that could be any platform. It could be Twitter, it could be Instagram, it could be Facebook, it could be LinkedIn, it could be TikTok. Um, so please let us know. We will take that poll and I'll give you about 20 more seconds to give us all of your answers. And keep in mind that we are using this information. So you're not just talking to us or talking at us. We are taking all of the information from the questions that you answer today, and we'll be editing the microsite over the next week. So it should be ready within a week, finalized and ready to go. Um, so, it looks like most of you would love to share this with your family and friends, and I appreciate that because a lot of times professionals like myself and Pat and Michelle, we are exhausted with trying to give all of our expertise to our family and friends. I know sometimes I just log off and I'm like, please don't ask me any questions. Here's a microsite that you can go to. Um, so that is fantastic. Um, in second place, we have colleagues, and then behind that to our social media audience and to patients. Um, so I will, sorry about that. Um, so there's our um, polling information there. And Chenny will go ahead and um, add notes to our Jamboard. I'm sorry, I'm taking a look at the chat really quickly. Thank you guys for engaging. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for telling us where you are. Um, all right, let's move on to the next question. So after you were able to take a brief overview of the microsite, um, is there any information that's missing that you think we need to include? Did we miss out on any categories? Um, did we miss out on talking about any specific vaccinations or any particular, you know, health topics related to older adults and healthy aging? And you can drop those right in the chat. And thank you um, to our NMQF staff for dropping our Health Champions link in the chat for me. Nothing to add? Could you please show the Microsoft page again? Yes, I can. Let me do that. Okay, make sure I'm on the right share. Okay, here's the Microsoft page. I'll go up so you can see the table of contents and you tell us what categories we might be missing. Okay, we have loneliness, loss, and grief that comes with aging. Um, wow, that hit me in my heart just now. That's a big one. That's a really big one. Um, thank you so much. We will definitely add that. I think um, in our previous webinar on mental health and the pandemic's toll on mental health, we did touch on that. 
but I think it's very important to highlight it here as well. Specifically mentioning disability and its relationship to aging, there is an intersection there. Thank you so much, um, Madison, I completely agree. Alrighty, keep putting your um, responses in the chat. In the interest of time, I wanna move on to the next question. So what additional challenges from vaccine preventable diseases exist for older adults? So we know that we have the challenge as we age of you know, you know, mitigating our risk, but are there anything additional things that we need to pay attention to? And panelists, please feel free to weigh in the chat as well. And while you are weighing in on this question, I should mention if you have a question for the panelists, please place it in the Q&A box um, because we got to know that we never have enough time for questions. So I want to make sure that we have time for your questions today. Any additional challenges that we didn't go over today? Okay. I will move on to question number four. So um, both Michelle and Pat did a really good job of talking about risk mitigation, right? So getting vaccinated, good hand hygiene, masking, physical and social distancing. Are, is there anything else that we are missing when it comes to risk mitigation that we can layer on um, to help reduce the risk of transmission and or contraction of an infectious disease for older adults? Oh, ways to access vaccine services for the previous question. Yes, yes, I completely agree, Pat. Transportation is a factor in getting seniors to food clinics. Absolutely. Yeah, we've been talking a lot, I know, in, in my state about mobile health services to be mm -hmm. in community sites um, that pharmacies have really helped make a difference with access. And a lot of adults can receive services at pharmacies now that they weren't able to do especially with some of the other vaccines. But um, there are still, when we look at the maps of some of our communities, that still is lacking services. So we've been trying to think about mobile services to go to different places in our communities. That is a very good point, Pat. And I think, you know, we have a community pharmacist ambassadors program here at NMQF and SHC. Um, that's something I think we could raise with our group is, you know, how do we, expand the services that we have. But we also know that community pharmacists are really strapped for time. Um, so really pulling in um, those additional resources from the health systems and clinics in the area, I think would be good. Um, healthy eating and activity to keep a healthy immune response. Absolutely, risk mitigation. Some fire departments have been going to seniors and giving vaccines. That's amazing. Thank you, Michelle. I did not know that. I think that's very good for us to highlight. We might be able to engage some fire departments in our work. Yeah, they've been, <clears throat> they've been doing that in uh, New York City. Oh, good, good. <clears throat> yeah, especially during COVID. That's awesome. That's awesome. Sorry. You're fine. Okay, we have one more question and then we can get to Q&A. Um, so how can our team improve the cultural appropriateness of this microsite? So we're not only talking about cultural, culturally appropriate messaging and linguistically appropriate messaging in terms of 
um, racial and ethnic background, but in this instance, we're also talking about older populations. And so how can we make sure that this microsite is representative of the population in which we're prioritizing? And please feel free to um, put your responses in the chat. And I'll give you guys a couple of minutes there. And I will say one of the things that I really appreciate about this particular webinar um, is that we can talk about healthy aging in the terms of we will all have to go through it. I think that a lot of times when we think of other chronic diseases and illnesses, we tend to stigmatize and other people, if you will, who are in those categories and who are living with those chronic illnesses. Um, and we try to do our best to stay away from that kind of language. But also with healthy aging, it's something that we all need to pay attention to, and I think it's relevant to the population writ large. So I can appreciate every single one of you for joining us today and certainly engaging in this conversation, and especially the expertise of Pat and Michelle. So any improvements that need to be made? Anything you guys can think of? <clears throat> I always say that healthy aging is something that we have to work on throughout life. It's something that's over time. It's not one day we wake up and we say, oh, oh we're this age. And now we have to worry about it every day. It's, it's a work in progress. Absolutely. So, and never too late to start. Um, never too late to start. I agree. To start. And it's even if we start small and we build up on it, we feel better. Absolutely. Um, and it's preventative. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, loneliness, depression relating to aging, medical conditions, food insecurity, finances, socialization with others. So that isol isolation component, absolutely. We can definitely add those things to the microsite. Thank you, Michelle. Okay. I don't see anything else coming through the chat, but if you do have something else, please know you can continue to um, drop it in. We will have access to the chat after this webinar. We'll have access to all of that archived information. Um, so really quickly, we have about six minutes for Q&A. So we did have one pre-submitted question, and I think Pat did a fantastic job answering it already. The question was what vaccine information should be highlighted for the older adult population. I think Pat did a fantastic job of walking us through those things. Um, if there's any nuance that needs to be added, Pat, did you want to add anything else? I'm, I'm trying to think of it. I thought this, you know, the Tdap, the shingle, we did hit on all of it. And I, but I do think the adults schedule and sometimes we have like a screening checklist. Um, there's nurses I've worked with that will ask some screening questions. So you can get to perhaps, is that person pregnant? And you perhaps didn't even know that. They would check off their screening checklist. Do, are they taking chemotherapy right now? That would give you clues as a provider, a healthcare provider, that this person is fitting into some of those conditions. So I know when I've worked with different practices in our community, I've really suggested they use a screening checklist because you know, 
it's, it's a lot of vaccines to remember and family practice and primary care is serving a lot of different people that this screening checklist can at least help the practice understand some of their vaccine needs um, and recommend the vaccines that are indicated for some of the conditions that they have. So we have um, forms like that on immunize.org that will assist any practice to pick out um, a screening checklist so that they know how, what to ask their patients. Awesome. Yeah, I'll go on immunize.org to get that screening checklist and we can add it to the microsite. It can be something that is downloadable for clinicians. Um, let's see. I don't see any more questions. I do see a lot of thank yous and you are welcome. And thank you guys for joining us. Um, I really appreciate you engaging in developing the microsite. This is a part of its development. It's a way for us to get real-time assessment. Um, and just so you know, that microsite information will be used to develop flyers and infographics as well that we can distribute in our communities and amongst our physicians as well. Um, so thank you guys so much. I don't think we have any more questions. So. Pat and Michelle, thank you dearly from the bottom of my heart, and I hope you both have a fantastic weekend as well as our audience. Thank you, guys. Bye.